Hello there. Well, the Irishman Abroad live line is open at last. You can now contact the show really easily with a WhatsApp voice note with your question, comment or story. Just head on over to WhatsApp and put in the number 0044-7543-12230. It's not, it doesn't trip off the tongue the way Joe Duffy's number does but it's there for you and uh, it's been great this week to hear your voices uh, your questions for Marion McKeown and for Sonia O'Sullivan really interesting stuff coming in there and you can get yourself heard on the Irishman abroad well today's episode is with Emer Considine the Irish women's rugby star camogie uh, and football player for Clare uh, an extraordinary person not only all of that like that would be enough for most normal people but she's also a PE and Irish teacher in Dublin how do you manage it all like how do you do that very tempting to ask that question but we do get to it because it is impossible sometimes to manage all of what we're doing and she's very frank about burnout and that sensation and how she arrived at that point and only realised it later and had the courage to step away take some time I love that part of this conversation, but there's so many elements to it, including a deep dive into the Irish rugby team and her journey into that game, which is extremely unusual, and how her difficulties with sport in the beginning ended up being of a huge benefit to her later on in her career. Emer, of course, is on all the socials. Give her a shout. If you enjoyed the episode, let her know. This is a snippet of the conversation. This is a taster of the full chat. All of our conversations are available in full, the unabridged versions on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. That's how this show works. I can't do it for free. I need you, if you can and you enjoy it, to pay the price of a coffee, depending on where you're living in the world, each month to me. And in return, you get the unabridged episodes, four episodes a week. That's right. We introduced a fourth episode on a Thursday, the selection box. Uh, which is your cultural picks of the week with Tom Dunn and Kevin Gildee. It's a fun, fun chat uh, to guide you through the amount of rubbish that's out there and punch you in the direction of the good stuff. But patrons get all of that for the price of a pint or a coffee a month. You can give what you like and you'll be paying for the people that can't afford it. But it really has been how this show has worked since the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm massively proud of what we've built over there. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes for you to enjoy uh, on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. I've got a bit more news at the end of this snippet of the conversation for you to stick around for. But Jigsaw.ie are our chosen charity partner. I always give them a shout out because they've seen a 400% rise in demand for their services they are a mental health charity for young people in ireland they cannot keep going without our support jigsaw.ie is the perfect place to go if you're worried about a young person in your life or you're a young person yourself and want to equip yourself with the mental health skills you'll need to survive a pandemic or whatever else life might throw at you jigsaw.ie is the place to go now let's get to it it's the beginnings of my conversation with emer considine that's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately 
I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Emer Considine, it's brilliant to have you on Irish Man Abroad. Not the obviously not feeling the best at the moment. Six Nations is over, but like getting a whack like you got, I guess it does remind you of how uh, how dangerous it all is. Do, like, have you had that that moment where you reflect on, oh, this is annoying that I got this hit, but all this talk of concussion in the game, this this must bring it home a little bit. Yes, thanks so much for having me on, Gerald. Absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, like it does. It's such a huge talking point at the moment in so many sports. I suppose rugby's getting a bad whack at the moment with the amount of concussions and HIAs and a lot of red cards. I suppose in the men's Six Nations, we saw quite a few. And it does, it does. Like I've played sport my whole life and I have been lucky to come through, I suppose, mostly unscathed, but I have had quite a few concussions. And and I suppose the scary thing about concussions is that they're unseen. It's mm. the, it's it's not a broken nose. It's not a, it's not a, you know, it's there's no physical manifestation of it. Yeah, and so the concussion and still feel right yourself. And I actually feel worse for my poor mother because <laughs> she was with no crowds at games at the moment. And um, you know, there's she's always there with us for the games, and then with no crowds, she was the lone player watching the game, game and obviously saw it on the team and you're completely helpless so you can't go anywhere and you know she obviously wanted to be with me pitch side and actually it's, it's twice it's happened to her this this season because my sister Ailish plays AFL over in Australia and she got knocked out in one of the early stages of the games she played against GWS and got knocked out because of a concussion and for me as a sister being on the other side of the world and for mam obviously it was we were so helpless in what we could do and mm. it happened mam again this weekend and it, it's suppose it's just that's the hard part of sport it's great with the highs and you know we got a win and it's great to score tries and all that stuff but there is a risk I suppose and, and you don't really realize it until you hear all these you know even like the Welsh rugby players that came out very recently they're in their 40s and they have early onset dementia and the you know obviously with all the NFL players as well there's high incidence of dementia and um, it's it's pretty scary. It is. Yeah, and obviously, like you say, you were the one driving the car, uh, so you were in control. So there there isn't the same anxiety around it. Whereas, like you say, your your mom has these moments, just like just feeling completely powerless, and she must she must try and put that aside and put that aside throughout your life because you know both you and Ailish have just sports been you know the through line of the thread between the two of you all the way through your lives but by the sounds of things you were the one that was a bit reluctant to get into contact early is that correct oh my god my mother would have no 
fear in in telling the world how bad I was at sport <laughs> to start with. My God, she did an article recently because Ailish was in the Grand Final. She was loving it, and she told the story of us at a young age and how Ailish was just always sporty, so naturally sporty, and and played with our older brother and wanted to was really eager to whereas I was inside playing with my Barbies and the stick I got over the last few weeks from the girls over this common sport and I was it wasn't being almost out of the situation I was in and the environment that I was in that was to go with Ailish. Ailish wanted to go to summer camp and wherever one went the other went mm. we went as a pair and out of I suppose just being forced to do something I ended up well, you're training now. You might as well try and be good at something. You might as well pick it up. And I did. I picked up the skills. And even when I first joined rugby, like I, well, one, I never thought I'd play rugby. I was a Gaelic footballer. I was an athlete. I was a runner. I was a camogie player. But I never saw myself playing rugby. And I, I remember actually watching the TV when the women won the Grand Slam. And it was over in Italy. And it was a really muddy day. And they were covered head to toe from the you know, scrums and lineouts and tackles and everything in mud and I, I remember looking up god i'd never play that sport really well, you, that, that thought forward, crossed like, your mind yeah. I, it actually i actually said it out loud when i was watching the game going i'd never play rugby and I, it was mad because i just knew nothing about it and female rugby wasn't even a thing you know it was probably the first time that the game was televised and it wasn't i suppose that appealing to people like me who saw them head to toe in mud and it was freezing cold day and I, I've heard stories since of that day where um, some of the girls almost had hypothermia it was so cold and that's not appealing really to someone who plays football in the summer and loves it you know but it's funny how it's funny how um, you know just because you weren't sporty or into the physical side of things at the start of your life doesn't mean that you can get there at the end. Yeah I mean it is interesting isn't it because I think a lot of parents listening to this will identify that in their kids because no the kids that want to batter the heads of other kids is that's what that's usually a problem i mean it's usually something that you're you expect your child to be reluctant to hurt themselves even though you know we know that there's mad lads who are just climbing trees and much more keen on experimenting to see if the bmx will go over the fence I think that's will provide a lot of hope to people because you know this you, we can pigeonhole kids early and I'm sure that you're seeing this as a teacher that tendency to go oh well right away that's not for you do you see that a lot and do you remember in yourself the pushback against the idea that they're all saying I'm not for this. I'll show them. Yeah, I suppose there's a bit of a stubborn streak in me too that once I do something, and I think it was from the very start that you know, once I did something, I was like, I was committed. Whether it was, um, I'm tells a funny story that I came home from that said cool camp that I was forced to go to. <laughs> and I think it was a hurling one, actually. And whatever bad I was at football, I was 10 times worse at Camogie. And um, there was a skills competition as it used to be in the Gaelic Gaelic camps mm -hmm. years ago. I think it was like how many jab lifts, how many roll lifts you could do. That was our challenge that day. And Ailish, being my talented younger sister, got it in one go, threw the hurley on the ground, came in and started playing her PlayStation for the rest of the evening. But I stayed out for the whole evening with blisters in my hands and 
I won the skills competition the next day and Ailish didn't because whatever I did, I just didn't want to be bad at it. And I think it was, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what sport I did. I think that was, that's been the key to my success, I think, is kind of just like even with rugby, I, I had no, I had no skills prior to it. But um, my coach was excellent and he said, look, whatever worked, whatever you know, you're really good at passing on your right hand, but your left are not so good. So he told me I had to do everything on my bad side. And now my bad side is my good side. And, you know, it's just that hard work that you need to put in. And um, going back to being teacher, I think it's so important that, you know, I think in some schools there, there's one sport and every single person in that school has to play one sport, whether it's your sport or not. And and it's, it's very difficult for people to develop if you're just playing one sport. And our... I'm in a fantastic department that they're really forward thinking and um, we try and do everything. Like it's it's do everything in school because just because one girl isn't good at Gaelic football doesn't mean she won't flourish in gymnastics or she won't flourish in tag rugby, a sport that you never knew she was good at. And I think that's important is that you, whether it's in school or whether it's in life, that you sample a wide range of sports and then you'll find whichever one is yours. And if you don't, well, you don't, but at least, you know, you've, you've tried it. So uh, how would you describe the relationship between you and Ailish growing up? Because so many times we've sports people on the show and I would say that I'd nearly identify having an older sibling as being one of the key ingredients to enjoying success in sports, that you nearly need someone to knock off their perch, someone to aim at early on for you to excel uh, above the skill level that's expected for your age? Yeah, do you know what? It's funny because everyone chats about me and Ailish, but everyone forgets that we have an older. Um, yes. He is 39. So he was he was nine years older than me when I was born and he was 10 years older than Ailish. So there's a huge gap there. And what's important about Keith is he we, we live in the middle of nowhere. We live in the countryside and he really had no option other than to play with his younger sisters because there was no one else to play with mm-hmm. so we were the ones that was the ball was kicked at our face and the, the hurley was out and whatever sport was on he was the one who played with us and mm. it is funny because his younger sisters have really like, excelled but he he played underage football for Clare and he was our big brother that we looked up to and we wanted to be like him and we traipsed around after him going to games so I suppose he was the role model that we grew up with looking at. Yeah. And Ailish and myself were polar opposites, as in the story I told about the cool camps. That's just one. But I was inside playing at my Barbies, baby borns, genuinely, whereas she was playing the PlayStation, playing with her action man. She had no interest in school. I loved school. I loved music. She hated music. I wanted to go with makeup and hair. She hated it. We honestly couldn't have been more opposite. But the only thing that we had was sport that that kept us that we that was the same. It was the only thing that we had that was similar. Mm-hmm. And but even on the field, we were complete opposites. I was the midfielder who'd run up and down the field, left, right, left, right, oh, like the whole aim and she was the talented skillful one that would just be in the right position at the right time off her left off her right whatever she was so skillful and it's like everything about us was just different but as the years went on sport brought us closer and she kind of really established herself into the player that she is now and worked hard on her and her kind of mindset changed and she worked harder 
And she never, she often says it, that she never, she was in my shadow for quite a bit because I was the midfielder, I was the starter, I was the one who scored and she was on the bench. And as she got 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, she wasn't making those teams and I was and then I was on senior teams and she wasn't. That's tough. She never, she always, she always says she never begrudged me for it, which I suppose, Dan, it's her character really that, so you can see her character, she never really despised me for it and I think I would have been the opposite and I'll admit that I, I wouldn't have been happy if she was better than me and that's the kind I think that was the competition in me and the um she was just too laid back I think for her own good and it, in later mm. years she got there in later years she started to push herself and been like yeah I, I have a skill I might as well try and you know work at this and what she lacked was her fitness and her athleticism and now she she worked on that and she's she's got there she always had the skill and even new sport over in australia like she's always had the skill she just had to you had to find the athleticism there but we were complete opposites considering we were given the exact same environment and like i said we went whatever one did the other did whatever one ate the other ate but yet we were two completely different people which is bizarre it's, isn't it interesting like and i can feel that you've reflected on it a fair bit because like you say it nearly is like an experiment two young women placed in the exact same environment brought to the exact same training camps and exposed to the same level of expertise in coaching almost offered the exact same number of hours practice and these are the paths they went on now one thing you mentioned is that you know she nailed the skill in the moment and went inside <laughs> to play PlayStation. Now, with my own son, similarly, he'll hit the shot, like basketball is my sport, so he'll, he seems to just get the the skill that I would have taken, you know, an evening to figure out. He seems to get it in one and be a little bit over it then. Do you think it's actually a benefit to you to have been that side of that coin, to be the person that was like, I actually need to zero in here and focus to to this, that it's actually uh, an advantage to have it a little bit come to you a little bit harder in the beginning. I do. Yeah, I do think it's an advantage and not just in my sporting life. I think it, it that kind of dedication and termination stems into other aspects of your life as well. And so it's been a it's been a huge advantage, not just in my sporting career, but I think in other aspects of my life too, with wanting to I suppose I have high standards of everything that I do. And it's not I'm not looking for perfection, but it's just I suppose I have standards of me and other people around me and I suppose that isn't particularly important in my sporting career too, because you know, you're always looking to drive yourself, your teammates and the team standards around you. Mm. But yeah, it's a I suppose it's just hard work and I don't think I would have got here either without that kind of hard work like I picked up a sport at 25 yes that I had never played before Um, and I'd never I didn't know the skills I didn't know the game I didn't know the rules the laws knew nothing about backs and forwards about scrums nothing and you have to have that kind of drive to get from zero to 100 and in two years i in two years, I played in a World Cup. You know, it was it's kind of mental looking back on it, but it was just the want to get better and the determination to work on what I wasn't good at. I didn't like being bad at stuff. And I don't like being bad at things. I mean, I, I didn't want to, I never want to, with this podcast, ask 
the questions you've been asked. I think that for you, it's boring. And if people want those answers, they are available elsewhere. But that yeah. has to be talked about because, you know, that's a that's a very unique sto story. And it's one that it's still going to flabbergast people. It's still going to be a thing that that follows you throughout your life is that changing of code and moving into and rolling the dice, really. I mean, you'd know they had no idea and you'd no idea if it was going to work out. Some elite athletes can pinpoint like where it comes from, like where the drive, like you say, you've referenced it a couple of times. That's the sport in me. That's the drive in me. I don't like being bad at things. Do you do you, have you reflected on that side of things? Because so many times the answer is I just wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted them to think or I just wanted to be in the local paper or I realized that there was this person that didn't believe in me and I was going to show them. Have you have you looked at that at all? Like, where does that absolute laser focus and commitment to not quit come from do you know what it um it is it isn't a kind of a an f you to people it isn't that kind of a one or it isn't a, i want to make someone proud but i think as i've reflected on it as i've got older i think it's become clear that it's from when i was 14 my father passed away he got a heart attack in front of myself and Aylish, and we were on the beach in the hinch and um my mother has just picked up the pieces she just I don't the way she carried on the way she allowed us to mourn but also allowed us to like look there's well there's nothing we can do we can we can sit here and we can feel sorry for ourselves that we can get on with it and she's had to pick up the pieces raise the two of us Keith was 23 so he was you know he's an adult but still had to you know, she got us through, she drove us to every single training session, she got us to every music and brought us to, you know, made sure our our, our, our results were good, had high standards with us in school, had high standards with us in sport. Wasn't tough on us, wasn't hard on us, but had high standards. And I think the, not that the turning point was that, but I think that she put all her energy into us because she had to, because she was a strong person. And not that I wanted to make her proud, it isn't because of that, but I think she instilled those standards in us and she instilled that hard work and, and it was never going to be an excuse for us. I never actually spoke about dad's death until I did the Tackle Your Feelings campaign a few years ago because I never wanted it as an excuse for why we were where we were. We were where we were because we worked hard, because we trained hard, because I studied hard, um, because we had those high, kind of that high work ethic and those standards that came from mam. And like, yes, that, that life event was life changing. But I think it was how my mom responded to that situation. And like in, in life, you have a choice. You can stand up or you can sit down. And she stood up and we, um, I think we learned from that. And we learned a lot from her in, in how to get on with life. And there's no taking from the fact that it was challenging and it was traumatic. And we were very young as well at the same time. But I think that was the key thing of the whole thing was, you know, you do have a choice and she had a choice and she knew that she had to raise these two girls and Keith was, was he had raised himself at that stage. But it was those standards and that 
I think that's that's what that's really try from from then on, and it carried on from then to to where I am right now. Mm. I, I think Danny Kaluuya mentioned it in his in his Oscar speech the other night. The the factory settings came from his mother, and uh, it sounds like kind of the same thing. That this was look, this is how it is. This is how we live, and this is how we move forward. When, when I watched the campaign and, you know, again, I read those pieces and I I love the way you speak about it. I did a, a campaign for Royal London here in the UK about uh, grief and not feeling like there were rules uh, that I've always felt that one of Ireland's biggest problems around it was this sense of you're not entitled to feel that because you are this removed from the loss. Uh, And that was kind of my side of it. But what I took from your interviews around it and the campaign and the thing that really stayed with me that I'm not sure every Irish family has is the ability to, you said, talk about it all the time, that not talk about it all the time, as in, you know, go on and on and on about it, but to always reference it uh, rather than to do what is the kind of stereotypical Irish thing to do, which is to shut it in a cupboard and keep it there. And Jesus Christ, don't mention the thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's we're brilliant at that. Like we are world class at don't mention the don't bring it up now, whatever you do like that must be you. You must know that that's unique, right? Well, I do. And and I I didn't not mention it for a reason, but I didn't feel I didn't hide it at the same at the same time. I just felt like yes, it was it happened, but the same way that you know, you know other things happen in life, but you don't mention them all the time. It was significant, and yes, it did help towards where I am right now. And but again, like I said, I didn't want it to be the reason. Like you know, and and some people some people want to talk about it and want it to be the reason. And sometimes it is the reason people have got to where they are in the places that they've been and the journey that they've become. But with me, I didn't want to be defined by that one moment of my, of my life. And that wasn't the reason why I was there. And I wanted to sort of show people that you can still get on in life and do exactly what you want to do and have high standards and be driven and have a loss, you know, without mentioning it either. And, um, and have the, I suppose, have the coping mechanisms there and to get by and, I suppose my, maybe my coping mechanism was to put my head down and focus on something else. And sport was probably my thing. And that was my focus. And, you know, the very next week I was out and I was playing a camogie game. And that was how I got over it. And those standards kept, um, that was what I loved. And dad would have liked if I played in my sport. And, you know, I often still get text messages from people around here saying he would be proud of you. And that that's nice to hear too. And, but also I know how proud my mom is and, I, it's in that video, but she always says, "Be as good as your mother thinks you are," because genuinely, don't, I don't think anyone could think any more of us. Even when we have a crap game, like she'll say, "You played good," and you're like, "Man, why didn't?" But <laughs> I love it's it. nice to have that kind of support as well, isn't it? You yeah. know, along the way when you have bad days. Yeah, and again, it's it, I'll be honest with you, it's not a, it's it, that's not normal either. I mean, your mother sounds like a ridiculous human being like it has to be said she doesn't conform to that uh, Irish mammy stereotype there's plenty of Irish mammies would be of the attitude don't praise them they'll get a big head yeah. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about uh, you know the 
fork in the road in so many ways that faces somebody in Ireland, anyone in Ireland playing sport. If you're a young fella with talent, you want to make money from it and make a life in something that you're passionate about. So many roads lead abroad. They lead to trying out for Premier League clubs and the same for for girls. The road that Ailish has gone down, she's making money in Australia playing Aussie rules. Uh, your dream was to be a teacher. You wanted that early doors. Was there ever a time when you were like, oh, I could do this, I can I can picture this? Or, or was it just this overarching goal to be a teacher, be an educator that made that? There you have it. Massive thanks to Emer Considine. That's only the start of it. As I said, it's only the beginning. You want to come over to Patreon.com this week. We have so much more for you to enjoy there, including exclusive episodes that can't be heard anywhere else. It's simple as uh, signing up for a, a Netflix account. You couple of clicks later and you'll have your feed on your podcast app populated with the best Irish people ever to have lived from uh, Richie Sadlier to uh, Dylan Moran from Sharon Horgan to Dervil O'Rourke there's a wealth of stuff for you to enjoy there hundreds literally hundreds of episodes including this one with Emer Considine which really gets uh, to a really fun place towards the end as we get towards the Irish curriculum uh, PE as an exam subject and much much more besides that head over it's easy patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad there's no obligation you can cancel whenever you like but for the price of a coffee you'll be helping this show keep going long into the future Brian Connolly is my producer John Marr does the extra research Tina and Mikey make it all possible I'll be back on Tuesday with Sonia as she is over at the Nike HQ coaching their Olympic hopefuls you'll want to hear how that plays out Uh, that's Irishman running abroad on Tuesday thanks for downloading the show and I'll talk to you then